Amen. Well, good morning, church. Okay, that's terrible. Come on. I'm used to people talking back to me. So good morning, church. Man, we're glad to be here this morning. I tell you, that video is just a small snippet, four and a half minutes of the story that we've been on at Cross Life East for the last 15 months. And you're gonna hear more about that as I go through the message and at the very end. But today I just wanna share this, that really what fills my heart this morning is a lot of gratitude. I'm so thankful. I'm thankful for the people at East Campus who have followed leadership and who have felt the call to what God wants us to do and have stepped up and raised the bar and been faithful to that. I'm thankful for the stewardship team here and the, the deacons and uh, the board of trustees who've walked with us every step of the way through this process. And I'm most thankful for uh, Pastor Mercer. I told him I, I've been in ministry almost 30 years and yet in 30 years I've never done this. So I said, I've got a lot of questions. We're gonna to have to have a lot of lunches and I'm gonna to need to talk to you a whole lot about the next step and the things that we can do. And he's been gracious every moment at every turn to give me the counsel that I need. So let's just give Pastor Mercer a round of applause. Thank him for that, energy, that effort. I know that you always don't get to see that, but I do and I'm so thankful for him. And I'm also most thankful to the Lord for what the Lord has been doing at the Cross Life Feast in the last the almost three years that I've been there. And I'm so excited about that. So today, what I wanna do is I wanna share some things. But rather than today just being a presentation about Cross Life East, I want today to be a time where we celebrate the church, that we celebrate the body of Christ, and that we celebrate the ecclesia. And so we're gonna talk a lot about Cross Life East, but today I want, at the heartbeat of what we're doing, I wanna take some moments and I want us to celebrate the church that God has created. In fact, I want us to know, you may already know this, but the church is a really big deal to God, right? I mean, the church is a really big deal. And one of the reasons the church is such a big deal to the Lord is because the church is the vehicle that he has chosen to share his message to a lost and a broken world, right? I mean, the church is a really big deal because he's passed the baton from Jesus to the church to share the message of Christ. And so the church is a really big deal. It's also a big deal because the church is made up of people, and guess what? People are messy, amen? If you didn't say amen, I'm talking about you probably, right? And he created this church that's made up of people. It's not an organization, it's made up of people. And listen, you remember when the psalmist said, who am I that you, creator God, are mindful of me? The Lord loves people. And so the church is really a big deal because it's made up of people. It's also a big deal because the church was launched around one event, and that event is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I want us to know this morning that the church, the ecclesia, the body of Christ is a really, really big deal. The church also has a big promise, and that promise came straight from Jesus himself. And his promise is this, that I will build my church and that's liberating for us because all we have to do is to be faithful to the Lord, to be urgent in sharing the good news of Christ. And Jesus himself has promised us that he will build his church. But he's also promised us this, not only will he build his church, but that the gates of hell will not prevail. That no matter what the enemy throws it against us, the enemy cannot stop what God is doing. If that's good news, would you say amen this morning? No matter what the enemy tries to do in the church, if God is in it, he's not gonna stop it. And so the church is a really big deal. The church has a really big promise, <clears throat> but also I want you to know this about the church, and this is where we're gonna land this morning. The church has a really big vision, and that vision was given to us by Jesus, and that vision is to be the hands and the feet of Christ in a lost, a broken, and a dying world. 
and you may not know this, but you need to know this, that that is the vision of Cross Life Church. The very vision of Jesus to go share the gospel to the, as we're going to make disciples. That is the vision of Cross Life Church, Cross Life Oviedo, Cross Life East. It is our vision. It's this. It's that we are to share the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever we live, we play, and we go, and we work <clears throat> so that the sun won't set on the ministry of Cross Life Church. In other words, that wherever we go, <clears throat> wherever we find ourselves, wherever we play, that we're all about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. That is our vision. So the church is a really big deal to the Lord. The church has a really big promise, <coughs> excuse me, and the church has a really big vision. And I want us to talk about this morning. And so in fact, I want us to think about this question. What is our role? What must we do to help to carry out the vision that God has for the church? So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter four. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter four, if you would. And we're going to pick up in verse 17. Now, before we pick up in that passage, verse 17, I want to take just a moment and I want to do a little background. I want to give you a little context in the first 16 verses. In chapter, Acts chapter 4, Peter and John have gone into the temple area. And while they're there, they obviously have just healed somebody. And the people aren't liking that they healed somebody. But the people that are not religious leaders are amazed at what's happened. And so Peter takes this opportunity in the temple and Peter begins to preach the gospel. And like oftentimes happens in the book of Acts, when you preach the gospel, they were arrested. And when they arrested Peter and John, they asked them, by whose authority are you doing what you're doing? In other words, who's given you authority to heal people? Who's given you authority to preach this message of the God? Who's given you this authority? And Peter responds, and I love Peter's response because I read it a little bit like Peter was a little bit sassy in his response. You know what sassy looks like, right? Just talk to an eight-year-old girl. They know what sassy looks like, right? <coughs> and so I think he was a little sassy. He says, listen, the authority that we speak with is the authority from Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified. I can imagine Peter pointing his finger, <coughs> excuse me, at those guys and saying, our authority is the one that you put on the cross. I don't know about you, but for me, in that day and time, those are fighting words, right? And so they didn't like Peter and John, and then would do all they could to get Peter and John to stop preaching the gospel. And ultimately, what they wanted them to do was to forfeit the vision that the Lord had given them. They basically wanted them to stop sharing their faith. They wanted them to stop doing the work that the Lord had had for them. They wanted them to forfeit the very vision that Jesus himself gave them. And I want us to take a look at how they responded to that command. If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter four, verse 17. Excuse me. And it says this. <coughs> but in order that they may spread no further among the people, let us, the religious leaders, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at any name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must be the judge. For we cannot speak <coughs> of what we have not, of what we, we cannot speak except of what we have seen and what we have heard. Now, as you look at this passage, we have to ask the question, what, are, what must we be willing to do in order to carry out the vision the Lord has for us. And the first thing we see is that we must be willing to obey irrationally. And I want you to write that down. We need to be willing to obey irrationally. You think about Peter and John. These two guys have been preaching the gospel. 
And these religious leaders come to them. They've arrested them and they're, they're talking to them. They're questioning them. And they say this, we want you to stop. What you're doing, stop it. We want to shut it down. Now, from a fleshly standpoint, they have a bit of a dilemma, don't they? They have authority from Jesus who's told them to, as they're going in the world, to preach the good news of Christ. But yet these religious leaders who had some clout in the day, they're told to stop doing what they're doing. And I love how Peter responds. I mean, the way he responds is mind-blowing. Listen to what Peter said again. He said this, where it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must be the judge. For we cannot but speak of what we've seen and what we've heard. And he said, listen, you're telling us to stop. You're telling us to obey you rather than God. But I just want you to know this. You be the judge of who we should obey, but here's what you need to know about us. We can't help but to speak about what we've seen and what we've heard. We've seen too much. We've heard too much. We have experienced too much, and we can only speak of the very things that we've seen and that we've experienced. So you're asking us to stop? Here's your answer. We're not stopping. We're gonna to continue to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now listen, we all know what that feels like a little bit, don't we? Anybody remember when your firstborn son or your firstborn daughter, you had, their, you had your first child? You remember them? I remember when my oldest son James was born, and some of you, I'm just gonna date myself, you're like, what in the world is that? I remember when he was born, they took a picture of him on a Polaroid camera. Anybody remember Polaroids? How many of you had a Polaroid? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? Some of you teenagers are like, what in the world? Well, just, you'll, just Google it, you'll find it, right? A Polaroid camera, and I took that camera, I was so happy, I had him, I was holding him, my first, son, my first child, and everywhere I went, I couldn't wait. I mean, I don't care what you wanted to talk about, that's not what I wanted to talk about. What I wanted to talk about is what I had seen, what I'd heard, and what I experienced, and I would take everywhere that Polaroid picture, and I would show everybody my new son, and no matter what you wanted to talk about, we're talking about him. And you probably were the same way. That's exactly how Peter and John were. You want us to stop? We can't. We've seen too much. We've heard too much. We've experienced way too much. We can't help but to speak of what we know. See, these men chose to obey irrationally. Here's what I mean. They chose to obey when it didn't make sense. See, understand this, in this culture, these religious leaders that come against Peter and John, they were connected also to the Romans. We know that because it was the, it was the religious leaders working in conjunction with the Romans that ultimately sent Jesus to be arrested and to the cross, right? So we know that those people worked together. And so what would have made sense was for Peter and John to just keep quiet, to hush, to fly below the radar, to get outside the city of Jerusalem and then begin speaking about Jesus all they wanted to. But right now in that moment, what made most sense was just keep your mouth shut, fly below the radar and get out of town. But that's not what Peter and John did. Peter and John obeyed arrest. And they obeyed even though obeying didn't make sense to them. And if you think about it, I'm a why guy. Like why in the world would they obey? Well, I think one reason they obeyed, we see in the passage is because they had seen the power of God. 
They'd seen, as they followed Jesus, and even after Jesus ascended to heaven, they'd seen the power of God at work. Can you imagine, listen, can you imagine being Peter and John, and you walking with Jesus, and he comes to the tomb of Lazarus, and Mary and Martha are like crying and upset, and they're saying, Jesus, if you'd only shown up, so much could happen. And can you imagine that moment when Jesus, I imagine with a very thunderous voice, said, Lazarus, come forth. Can you imagine what Peter and John must have thought were going, I wonder how this is going to work out. He just called out a name of a guy who's not just dead. He's been there four days. He's dead, dead, according to Jewish, uh, uh, the way they looked at things. I mean, he's been wrapped up. He's in a tomb. He's like really gone. He's not even anywhere close to being around. And Jesus is going to shout his name and something's going to happen. Can you imagine what Peter and John must have thought when Lazarus comes out of the grave? They'd seen too much to shut up. They'd seen too much to be quiet. They obeyed a ration because they had seen the power of God at work. They had seen lives change. And another reason I believe we are on a shadow of a doubt, they continue to obey rationally is because the vision Jesus gave them never changed. And I want you to hear my heart this morning. Whether you're in the highest point of your life and things are going great or you're going through the greatest difficulty in your life, the vision that Jesus gives the church never, ever, ever changes. We are always called to go and to share the gospel wherever we live, work, play, and go. That is our commissioning from the Savior himself is to go share the gospel. So no matter where you find yourself or what you're going through, that's what we've been called to do. And see, for these guys, it was the vision that Jesus gave them that drove them. Hear me on this. The vision that Jesus gave these guys, the Great Commission, was the very thing that drove Peter and John. See, in their culture, there were people that were coming against Peter and John, and they were simply saying this, we want you to stop talking and stop calling sin, sin. We want you to stop talking about repentance. We want you to stop talking about Jesus. We want you to simply stop. There was a culture that was trying to shut them down. And I want you to hear me this morning. Our culture is no different. Amen? Our culture is doing all they can to try to shut us down. Our culture wants to do all we can to stop calling sin, sin, to stop talking about repentance. But I want to make this commitment to you that as long as I have breath in my lungs and as long as Pastor Mercer has breath in his lung or Tim Dix or Ryan Ritchie or Daryl Nesson, whoever fills this pulpit or East Campus pulpit, as long as we have breath in our lungs, we will always and continue to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. We will continue to preach that there's sin is sin, repentance must happen, and there's hope and there's grace to be found in Christ and they obeyed irrationally and I'm just going to say this if we are going to carry out the vision that Jesus has for us we must commit to obey irrationally I don't know about you but I find it easier to obey the Lord when it makes sense to me how about anybody else anybody else you think Abraham felt that way when God said hey Abram I kind of want you to get rid of most of the stuff you got Keep a little bit, and I want you to go. And I'll let you know when you get to where I want you to go, but I just want you to go. I mean, how many of you plan family vacation that way, right? Hey, we're getting in the car, we're just gonna go. We're, and when we show up when daddy says stop, right? I know I mean, nobody plans that way, but that's what Abraham did. And the Bible says, because the obedience and the faith of Abraham, it was counted to him as righteousness. Why? Because Abraham obeyed a rational. Listen, it is so easy for us to obey when it seems to make sense, but we are called to obey even when it doesn't make sense. Even when the Lord nudges us to go across the street and share our faith with our neighbor, or the Lord nudges us to serve in an area or capacity that we've never served before, we need to have a mindset and heart that says, Lord, whatever you ask of me, I'm in. 
Lord, whatever you require of me, I'm in. If we're going to carry out the vision that Jesus has given us, we must have a heart willing to obey irrationally. The second thing I want you to notice they did is found in verse 32 through 35. It says this, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was their own. But they had everything in common, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimonies to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and, the grace was, and great grace was upon them, and there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Listen, if we're going to, if we're going to carry out the vision the Lord has from us. Yes, we need to commit to obey irrationally. Secondly, we need to commit to give extravagantly. Commit to give extravagantly. See, when you read this passage, here's one thing you've got to conclude. They believe with everything in them that everything they had, all their possessions, all their finance, all their land, all their wealth, everything they had belonged to who? It belonged to the Lord. It did not belong to them. It belonged to the Lord. And listen to me, church, because of that, it changed how they view their finances. It changed how they view their money. They recognized that they were not owners of anything. They were only called to be stewards. They saw that because they understood that everything belongs to God. It's changed how they saw their finances. It also helped them guard against selfishness. I, I want to tell you something that I hope you know is that going back all the way to Genesis to a guy by the name of Melchizedek with Abraham, giving has always been the remedy for greed. See, when we give and we're faithful to give, it's basically what we're saying is, I'm acknowledging that everything belongs to the Lord and nothing belongs to me. And I'm acknowledging that I'm not gonna let money become a God or an idol and it's not gonna take over my heart. And that's exactly what they understood. They understood that God owned everything and it protected them from selfishness. But listen, they also understood that because everything belonged to God, it led them to be sensitive to the needs of those around them. Just a thought. When I realize that everything I have belongs to the Lord and none of it's me, then I'm not worried about hoarding what's mine. You ever had a three or four year old in your house? What's their favorite word? Mine. Mine. And then as a parent, we begin on that journey trying to explain to a three or four-year-old how it's not theirs, it's, it's to be shared. But they don't get it, it's, it's mine. Listen, when we understand what they understood, that everything belongs to God, it protects us from a mindset saying that I need to hoard all that I have, but rather seeing that there's needs around us, and I'm gonna take what God has allowed me to steward and to manage, and I'm gonna make sure those needs are met. See, these people gave extravagantly, and if we are gonna carry out the mission of Christ, we must commit to give extravagantly. And let me give you three areas that we need to give extravagantly. You ready? Here's the first one. It's in our tithes. And I know you knew this was coming, but let me just challenge you with this, that in our tithes, when we, when we give, like I'm a check guy, I don't know about you, but I love all the, the technology and all that kind of stuff, but I still write a check. I don't know if you're like that or not. I like it because when I put it in the bin, we don't pass the plate anymore like you guys, we put it in the bin. When I put it in there, literally my heart is saying, Lord, I know that everything truly belongs to you. Lord, I know that by doing this, even though it is a fraction of everything you've blessed me with and given me, Lord, I'm just letting you know that I'm not gonna let money ever be an idol in my life. And so we need to make sure we're giving our tithes. It protects us from greed. 
It helps us see the needs of those around us differently. But let me tell you something else you need to give extravagantly, and that's your time. I thought about this a couple days ago, that there's 168 hours in a week. I don't know if you knew that or not. But what if God asked you to tithe on your time? What if he said, hey, I want you to give me 16.8 hours a week just to serve me? Some of you are like, I don't think I can do that, right? Some of you, that would make really nervous. But he didn't ask us to do that. But the reality is this, is that your time is not your time. Your time belongs to who? It belongs to the Lord. And we need to have a heart that says, Lord, whatever you've called me to do, in fact, there's gonna be times where Pastor Mercer or Tim or, or one of the other staff members here are gonna stand up and talk about serving in different capacities of this church. And there's gonna be real, this real temptation to go, I just don't have what? Time. And I'm gonna tell you, you do have time. It's about the priorities of your time. And your time doesn't belong to you, it belongs to the Lord. And I'm so thankful for that because there's a guy by the name of Mr. Seifert when I was in third grade, who gave his time. In fact, Mr. Seifert was an older gentleman when I was in third grade, and I remember him telling his story how he became a third grade teacher. The pastor got up and made this plea, we need a third grade boys Sunday school teacher. We called it Sunday school back in the day. And he's like, you know, he told us, I mean, we're third grade boys. He's like, you know, I told the pastor that I felt God moving, but I realized third grade boys are just mean, right? They're mean. They pick their nose all the time. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I've never taught third grade boys and I'm not even sure I like third grade boys. But the Lord led him and guess what he signed up for? Teaching third grade boys. And by the time I had come through, I was the fifth group that had come through and he began to share with us one day how when he was available to God, how God had used him and he began to name names of kids of young third grade boys who prayed to receive Christ. And listen, you know why that happened? Because some guy nudged by the Holy Spirit said, I've gotta make time because God's leading me to do this. And one thing that we can give extravagantly of is our time. Another thing we can give extravagantly of is our gifts. Listen, when, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a spiritual gift. And it's the responsibility you have to find out what is that gift, to develop that gift, and to use that gift to build up the body of Christ. See, these people gave extravagantly of everything they have, and if we are gonna carry out the vision that the Lord has for us to reach people, we too have to give extravagantly. Let me give you one more thing that they did. Look at me, verse 27 through 31. We're gonna interrupt them right in the middle of a prayer. And here's part of that prayer. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, <clears throat> both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon the threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word in all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, everybody say that. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered began to shake and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let me tell you the third thing we must be willing to do. We must be willing, if we're gonna carry out the vision God has for us, to obey irrationally, give extravagantly. And here's the last thing. We must will, be willing to pray really big prayers. See, when you come to scripture and you see people that prayed really big prayers, God showed up in really big ways. 
When people prayed really big prayers, God shook things up. In fact, if you were to go back to Joshua chapter 10, Joshua wanting God to have the glory is in the middle of a battle and God and Joshua prays something that we've never prayed before. He said, Lord, would you have the sun to stand still so we can win this battle? And guess what happened? The sun stands still. In 1 Kings 17, Elijah said, Lord, I want you to get the glory and I'm praying for this, this child to be resurrected from the dead so you receive the glory. And guess what happened? That child was resurrected from the dead. See, when we pray things that are so big that only can come true, if God steps in, if God intervenes, if God interrupts, if God is a part, then big things always happen. Do you believe that this morning, church? See, I believe if we're gonna do and carry out the vision that God has for us to share the gospel, we've gotta start praying some really big prayers. I read a book a couple of months ago, challenge you to read it. It's called Dangerous Prayers by Craig Groeschel. And as I was reading the book, I was challenged by the book because he's a pastor of one of the largest churches in America. And he said this, too many of us are praying small, safe prayers. And we forget that we're praying to a magnificent, glorious, sovereign God. He's like, it's amazing what will happen when we start praying big prayers. And maybe for some of you this morning, maybe your marriage is on the rocks. Maybe your relationship with your kids are on the rocks. Maybe some things aren't going the way you think they should go. Well, maybe today what you need to do is commit to praying some really big prayers. See, these men, Peter and John, those around Peter, they were all about carrying out the vision Jesus had given them. They did it by obeying irrationally, giving extravagantly, and praying really big prayers. Now, these three things are the very same three things that I shared with East Campus on December the 6th of 2020. These three things are the same things that, that are very much a part of our Cross Life East story. We've learned what it means to obey irrationally, to obey even when it doesn't make sense. Think about it for a moment. We were in a school that closed down first and we got back into that school later than everybody else. In fact, when it closed down in March, uh, I think you guys may have come back in July, we were told August, August, or told July 1st, and then they shifted to August, and it was like around September the 26th was the first time, almost six months from the time it closed down, that our campus was totally together again, back in the place in Columbia Elementary where we were meeting. And so you think about that, and they also told us, hey listen, when you come back together, you can only have 50 people in the building at one time which means we probably needed to go to four services just to get everybody there and only 50 in the building at one time. That was absurd. And listen, when you think about that, it makes no sense in the middle of a pandemic when our church, East Campus, was pretty much scattered. I mean, we tried to meet here on Tuesday night. We started with like 70, 75 people and we grew it down to 35 people because nobody wanted to drive. And so we're like, okay, that's not working. And so we're scattered apart. And you, it makes no sense to go buy a piece of property but it doesn't have to make sense to God. We just have to obey him. See, God created a groundswell among our people. Pastor and I were talking about this before COVID, and during COVID, I kind of put it on the shelf, but it was the groundswell of people at East Campus that helped me take it back off the shelf. You know what, maybe we need to do something with this. It was this groundswell of people said, Doug, we need a home. We need a place that provides credibility, opportunity, and stability for our church. And so we began a journey looking for a place. And within two weeks, we found a place. We found 40 acres. Now listen, that 40 acres is $600,000. You say, well, Doug, that's not that much. Listen, that's a lot of money. And here's what I mean. That is almost two and a half times East Campus's annual budget. So that's a lot of money. It made no sense to sign a contract. 
but through the, the help of our stewardship team here, the board of trustees, the deacons, and like I said, Pastor Mercer, on December the 9th, we signed a contract for this 40 acres. I think we got a picture of it for $600,000. Maybe they don't have a picture of it. <clears throat> I thought we did. So we, took, we understand what it means, there we go, to obey irrationally. We also understand what it means to give extravagantly. Now hear me on this. I'm so proud of East Campus for their faithfulness to the Lord. The first six years of East Campus existence, Oviedo always had to deal with a deficit because there was always a deficit. In 2019, <clears throat> for the first time in their seven-year history at that point, East Campus had given enough money not only to cover the ministry budget, but the personnel budget. And for the first time ever, they exceeded their budget by $70,000. And that's unheard of. And then in the middle of a pandemic, through a pandemic, and 2020, when everybody got nervous, what's gonna happen by the time the year ended, by the time you took our expenses with the money that God's people had, had faithfully given, they exceeded, we still had a surplus in 2020 of $140,000. Isn't that incredible? That's incredible. <clears throat> so with Pastor Mercer's encouragement and through some meetings, we decided we need some money for reserves. So we set 100,000 aside. We set 40 aside for due diligence, a little bit more. And then we said, we've got $100,000 as seed money. And we went back to the church, East Campus and said, listen, church, we've got some great seed money. But man, this is not gonna be enough. We have a goal and that goal, our, our goal was 200,000. Our stretch goal was 300,000. And last Sunday, we celebrated East Campus that over a three-month window with the money we had set aside and with the money we raised in three months, April, May, and June, we now have $220,000 to be able to put down this property. Isn't that awesome? So giving extravagantly is very much part of our story, but also is praying big prayers. We have been praying for the favor of God. We've been praying for the favor with the Catholic diocese who we're buying the property from, and we've seen favor there. We've been praying for favor with our neighbors around us, that they would be aware that we're there, that they might start coming. In fact, my wife and I, Sonia, visited a family two weeks ago, a little under two weeks ago, and they said, I said, how did you find out about Cross Life East? And they said, well, actually, we were going to a different church that morning because we needed to get back in church. And when we showed up, they had posted on the door, baptismal service at a different location. And we decided, we're not going to that location. But my husband said, we gotta get back in church. And yesterday I was driving by and I saw a sign for a church that's meeting in a school just down the road. Let's go check them out. God's timing is always perfect, isn't it? That family's been part of our church for almost two months now and about to join our church. I mean, it's incredible how God has been showing us favor. We even, you know, one thing that we talk about is, okay, well, when we do this, how are we gonna pay for this? What are we gonna do? Well, even that, God has shown us favor. We've had a private lender come to us at East Campus and say, listen, we're, 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 gonna, we're gonna help you, we're gonna help let you borrow the money from us personally to pay for this. Moment after moment after moment, as we pray big prayers, we are blown away by how God has shown us favor. So when we talk about obeying irrationally, giving extravagantly, and praying big prayers, that's part of East Campus' story right now. And I'm so proud of that. But let me challenge you with this. This needs to be part of your story too. And maybe today's a moment that you might need to address the disobedience in your life and say, Lord, I need to make sure that I'm obeying irrationally. You've been nudging and that I haven't been jumping. 
Maybe today's the day that you need to address the mindset toward your finances or your possessions and realize that it all belongs to the Lord and you commit to give extravagantly of your time, your talents, and your gifts. Maybe today's that day that you need to choose and commit to start praying big prayers instead of those, saw, those small, safe prayers. So if you're a believer today, would you commit to obey irrationally whatever God calls you to do? Would you commit to give extravagantly as God leads you? And would you commit to pray huge prayers? Prayers that can only happen unless God steps in. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ. Listen to me. Jesus did all three of these things for you. He obeyed when it made no sense. He didn't sin. He didn't deserve the cross. But he went there. He gave extravagantly, not of finances, but of his own life. And he prayed a huge prayer while he was on the cross. Father, forgive them. He prayed that we might know the forgiveness of God. So if you're here this morning, if you never trusted Christ, would you just simply acknowledge that, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Lord, I believe Jesus died for me. And I surrender my life and ask him to be the boss and master of it. So if you don't know Christ today, would you do that? And if you make a decision, would you just take a moment? You can either go to the QR code or grab that welcome card in the pew in front of you and just take a moment and fill it out. We wanna know if you made a decision because listen, if you accept Christ today, listen, it's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. All of heaven is throwing a party on your behalf if you'll do that. And we wanna celebrate with you. So would you take a moment to do that? Let's just pray together. God, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for this opportunity. Yes, to share part of what you're doing at East Campus how you're moving and you're guiding and directing us. But Lord, I pray that we all feel that challenge, that we would all look in the mirror of our lives spiritually and go, am I obeying irrationally? If not, we would address that. Are we giving extravagantly? And if not, we would address that. Are we praying big prayers? Or are they small and safe? God, I pray that we would commit to these three things as believers, that we would commit to obey, give, and pray huge prayers. And Lord, I pray for that person that maybe not know you, whether they're here in the room or they're watching online, that they would receive you as their Lord and Savior today. That it would not only change their life, but today it would change their eternity. So Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we bless you for all that you do for us. And may you move in our hearts today only as you can. For it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Amen. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.